things, Lord, because Jesus said, these things will you do and greater. And we thank you for all the things you're doing here. We thank you for the service today. We ask that you move through the worship, move through the preaching, God, that you draw people from all quarters, north, south, east, and west, Lord. Prepare their hearts, change their hearts, God. Save people in this summer, Lord. We thank you for the vision you've given here, and we believe that you're birthing it, you're bringing it through, God. And we want to see more souls, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name.
Isn't it exciting to know that we serve an unstoppable God? Amen. Not even death can hold him down. Just think about that. Nothing is stopping God. Come on, with all eyes closed in this place, come on, if you think that God was limited in some way, shape, or fashion, maybe because you're not seeing it in the physical, I just want to let you know, let your ears hear it, that he's an unstoppable God. What you think in your life couldn't be moved, wouldn't change, come on, he's an unstoppable God. Come right now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he's wanted to move in this worship service. I believe it. God, higher than the mountains that we face. Come on. God, your love never changes. We'll sing that out higher than.
Sweet. 
want to know you more, God. Well, Lord, we thank you this morning that you have saved us, that we can come to you, Lord, and worship you and experience your great love. We thank you today that we've experienced your love, we've experienced your salvation. And church, this morning, I want us to turn our attention to our city, to the ones that don't know him, to the ones who have not accepted this love. With all hands raised all across this room, I want prayer warriors to come up to the front because we're going to intercede this morning for the Puerto Rican Festival Outreach. Come on, if you've been going out to the streets at Humble Park every week, I want you to come on up because we have planted seeds, church. And we're going to believe for a harvest on Saturday. Come on, Steve, come on up. Julian, I want you to come up. I want, I want some women to come up and pray. Amy, come up. I want you to pray this morning. We're going to pass the mic around. As a matter of fact, Rudy, if you can help me, you guys can share this one. We'll pass it down however we want to do that. Metro Praise International Church. We're going to pray this morning. We're going to pray for the Puerto Rican Festival Outreach. We must cry out for souls. The Bible says that if we turn from our wicked ways and if we repented, that he would hear our cries and he would hear our prayers and he would heal our land. Chicago needs healing. Souls need to be saved from every background, every race, every age, every gender. They need Jesus. And I want us to prepare to close out after this prayer time. We're going to sing, you're the God of this city. So if we could get those lyrics prepared, I want us to push through with these prayer warriors this morning and intercede on behalf of souls. We want souls for Jesus. Amen. So Rudy, go ahead and start, start it off. Jesus, we declare your glory, God. We declare your faithfulness, God. God, you loved us while we were still sinners, God. I know that you have a plan for this city, God, that you don't want to see this city belong to the devil, Lord, but you want this city to belong to you, God. So I pray that your spirit would empower us, Lord, that your spirit will fill us with love, God, so people can feel you, God. I pray that you would empower your church today, God. Empower us to preach the gospel, God, with power, signs, and wonders accompanying the preaching, Lord. Fill us with your spirit, God, so we rely upon you, God, not ourselves, Lord. Give us words to say. Give us people to talk to, God. Words of wisdom, words of knowledge, God. Let people know who you are, God, by your great love, God. Let us never forget that you loved us while we were still sinners, God. And, Lord God, let us selflessly preach with that in mind, Lord Jesus. Lord God, we ask for more of your spirit, God, in Jesus' name for us next week, God. Hallelujah. As we begin to pray, I want us to be very specific. As, you, as we all come into agreement with their prayers, the Bible says that whatever we bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever we loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And I want us to do some binding and loosen prayer warriors. Amen? We want to bind up all the addictions, all the lies of the enemy. We want to loose salvation, loose the peace of God, loose the peace and joy of the Holy Ghost of our city. So let's do some binding and loosing. Come on. Come on, join in with the prayers. Everybody should be praying. Start speaking in tongues, declaring the praises of God as Amy begins to pray right now. Come on.
Hallelujah. Let's keep praying. Go ahead, Steve. Hallelujah, Jesus. The word of God says in Jeremiah 1.12, the Lord said to me, you have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. Father, right now, God, we stand on your word, God. We stand on the fact that you're not, Lord God, a liar, God. You're not a deceiver, God. You don't change, Lord God. You don't have any shifting shadows, God. You are who you are, Lord God. And you can do what you said you can do, God. And Lord, you're ready to perform your word, God. You're watching over your word to do it in this city, God. And I pray, God, right now, God, that you will set up the atmosphere, God. Lord Almighty, that you would have. Lord, we pray that your mighty hand would be over Boricua Fest, God. Lord, that that land is claimed in your name. That the devil shall not try to come and take that land from you, God. Lord, and we pray, we pray, we pray that every soul that's out there, God, will be touched by you, God. That their soul, that they will feel the conviction. They will feel your love. They will feel your peace. They will feel your joy, God. And you will tell them that you love them. And you have a purpose and a hope for them, God. That you're beckoning them to come into a relationship with you, God. Lord, and I pray that you would put a, a burden in every person's in every person's ears and spirit, God. That they will have a burden for the lost, God. That they will be broken for the people on these streets that are dying. The violence in this city, they're dying, God. They're dying without a Savior. Lord, we're called to preach the good news. To bring your gospel onto these streets. To tell these people about you, God. Lord, that it will go past Boudicua Fest, God. That each and every person that goes out there will go on those streets and be a witness for you, God. That they will tell people about what changed their lives, about transformation, about the gospel that changes lives, God. Chains will be broken in these streets, God. The violence would cease. It would all stop, God, because you would have a divine appointment in the city of Chicago, Lord. That all the churches will rise up. That every saint, that every saint would rise up and say that there is a God that is mightier than the violence, than the pain, than the struggle, than the brokenness. God, you break change in your mighty name, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. In your mighty name. 
Come on, let's spend a few moments here speaking in other tongues. If you're baptized with the Holy Ghost, lift up your hands. If you're not, you want to be lift up your hands. We want a fresh fire from the Lord as we prepare this week, as we prepare our hearts to preach the gospel. Come on, Lord, use us. You told us to go, and we are going, God. And we don't want to go if you don't go before us, Jesus. Come on, ask him for fire. Ask him to anoint you. Ask him to send you in power and authority. God, we bind up every spirit in this city. Spirit of violence and homosexuality, oh God. The spirit of confusion. The spirit of divorce. The spirit of greed. Oh God, and we lose purity, and we lose holiness, and we lose righteousness over our city. We lose the peace of God and a sound mind over our city. Blanket Chicago with your glory, oh God. Let your glory cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. Hallelujah. I want us to worship to this song. I want us to sing, you're the God of this city. If you could hold hands right now, look across the rows and lift them up. We're going to glorify God in our city because Chicago belongs to him. Come on. You're the light of this darkness. You're the hope to the hopeless. You're the peace to the restless. Sing it again. You're the God. over your city. Lift up your hands all across this room. Come on. Jesus is Lord of the city. Greater things are yet to come. Still to be done in this city.
Lord of Lords, there is no one like you. Chicago belongs to you. We plead the blood of Jesus over our city. And we declare, O oh Lord, that your word will come forth, O oh God, it will not return void. Receive all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise that is to your name this morning. And everybody said amen. And give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Woo! He is worthy. Praise the Lord. You may greet your neighbor and grab your seat at this time. God is so good. church today. Praise God. Welcome to Metro Praise International. I'm going to preach the gospel to you this morning. For those that may not know who I am, my name is Nancy Wyrostek. I'm one of the apostolic elders here, and I have good news. Look to your neighbor and say, she has good news. I want to read to you the verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 and 21. And it says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is some good news this morning. And that message is for you today if you're not right with God. You have not been reconciled back into a relationship with your creator, your heavenly father. He is uh, beckoning you right now. He is inviting you to come and partake and have a relationship with him. And so when you have a preacher or pastor come up and preach this message to you, we are Christ's ambassadors on your behalf. God is making his appeal through us to you and saying, be reconciled to God. Don't put it off for another day. Don't wait one more minute. Today is the day to make that choice because he sent his son Jesus, who had no sin, the spotless, perfect lamb of God, to become sin for us. So when Jesus was dying on that cross in our place, all of the sin, all of the wickedness, all of the sickness, all of the sorrows of all the human history from before and the history that was to come was placed upon him. And he took our place. He died the death. He paid the price that we couldn't pay. And so because of the blood of Jesus, you can be reconciled today with your heavenly father and an awesome relationship, a loving relationship. No other relationship on earth will compare to the love that you will get in the relationship for, with your creator. So if you've been putting it off, you're not right with God, or you used to live for God and you walked away, or this is the first time you're hearing this message, take it serious, because we're not promised tomorrow. Every breath that we breathe, all the oxygen that comes to our lungs, waking up every morning is a gift from God. So with all eyes closed all across this room, I implore you today, if you're not right with God, be reconciled to him at this moment. I'm going to begin to pray, and I want you to come into agreement and pray your prayer to God. Cry out to him. Say, Jesus, I need you. Save me. Lord, I pray for every single person in this room who's not right with you. They have never been saved. They have never received the reconciliation. They have not been born again. 
Their spirit is dead and it must be made alive by the breath of God. I pray that today they would repent, that today, oh God, they would turn from their wicked ways and turn and be healed and receive salvation from you, God. That today they would get right and receive this righteousness that could only come from you. In Jesus' name I pray and everybody said, amen. You can stand up to your feet with me this morning. If you prayed that prayer and you mean business with God, in a few moments we're going to have fellowship time. I want to invite you to come and receive prayer from our prayer workers right here, Catherine and Daryl. There's some of our deacons in the church. They'll pray with you. They'll pray for you. Then they'll show you how to get plugged into the church and receive discipleship because you're not meant to walk this journey by yourself. We, the church is here for you, so live for God. Amen. Let's recite this confession of faith together. On the count of three, this is our Christian worldview. The reason why we recite this together as the body of Christ every week is because we want to declare it. We want to make it known. And this is the lens in which we see the world around us. So if you're with me, let's do it. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world. The Son who purchased my salvation and his death, burial, and resurrection and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind, is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Give it up for Jesus. Spend some time meeting some people. Give them a hug and a handshake.
All right, all right. Who's excited to be at Metro Praise International this morning? Come on, make some noise. I don't feel your excitement. I want to hear it. We want to welcome you guys all to the 10 a.m. service, especially if this is your first time here. Keep on coming back. And uh, just uh, for everybody to keep remembering, invite your friends and your family, coworkers, neighbors, everybody. Our services here at MPI are every Sunday at 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. This is our family service. So we have King's Kids in the back, ages infant to 11 years old. So they're learning about Jesus right now. The children are so precious. And we thank the Lord for all the children's workers as well that make it happen in the back. And then we have Elevate. Fridays at 7 p.m. for students 11 to 18 years old. God is moving, moving powerfully at our Elevate service, and we're just so excited to see what God's going to keep doing through the summer and into the new school year and seeing the soul save our youth need Jesus. Amen? All right, who's excited about the PR Festival? It is upon us. That's when we will be seeing you guys again, so we will see you here next week, Saturday, June 18th at 9 a.m., Come on out, come early, come a little bit earlier, let's get ready to go, and uh, we're going to receive a fresh word, some training, have our lunch here, and hit the streets, and be out there for a long time, so we're just so excited about what God is going to do in us and through us, and to see the souls and lives that are going to be changed and transformed and saved, taken out of darkness, brought into his light, amen, who's excited to see that, all the testimonies and lives that are going to be changed. And then immediately following that next day, next Sunday, a week from today, June 19th, for both of our services, we're going to have the baptisms and the Father's Day steak dinner. So we want you guys to keep inviting your friends and family for that as well. We are super pumped and excited about all the people getting baptized. If you're interested and you, uh, you want to do it next Sunday, please let your life group leader know or any of the pastors that you want to get baptized, and we will prepare you to be ready for that day. And invite your fathers. We want to celebrate the dads in our life with a steak dinner as we do that out there. And our next announcement is going to actually be the MPI retreat. Who's excited to go to Devil's Lake? Come on. MPI summer retreat, July 15 and 16. So it is next month. We're about probably a month away or so, a little bit over. But this is the most important thing. Registration deadline is July 3rd. So after today, there will be three Sundays left. Now, you don't only have to register on a Sunday. You can freely go to our website, mpichurch.org. Look for the Eventzilla link that's connected to the retreat and register you and your family. You can pick your hotel room, register the amount of people that are going to be in that room, and you can pay with your, with your debit card, or you can do it here at the church on Sunday. Pastor Griselda can assist you with that today. So here's the deal. It's going to be $50 per person for an individual if you want to share your room with somebody. So if you're going to if you're going to be a roommate with somebody else, you know, you're not going to be with a husband or a wife, $50 covers your lodging. All meals this year are going to be done on our own. Okay? So everybody gets their food, you go down there, you spend the day there, the 50 bucks covers your your hotel. For a family to get their own room or a bunch of people that want their own room, $150 per family or a couple to do that. You guys get it? So we just really want to encourage you guys to take off work. This is an awesome time to get away. Be refreshed and have some fun and fellowship in the sun. Breathe in some fresh air. But we really want you guys to start registering and uh, saving your spots for those rooms. Cool? Here, our vision at MPI is very simple. We have a vision, a strategy, and a goal. Our vision is loving God and loving people, the two greatest commandments that Jesus gave to us. And our strategy is to connect, mentor, and send. We want to connect you to the church through our life groups, 
We want to mentor you through our 101 and 201 books, and then we want to send you out to do evangelism so we could keep on winning souls. And our goal here is to have 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches and 500 around the world. Look to your neighbor and say, that's awesome. Come on. So it's time to get connected. Here's a way you could get connected this week. If you want to know the schedule for the whole quarter, you could turn your hand out around. You'll see all the times and places, dates, locations, all that of what's going on. But kicking it off today is our marriage life group. Come on, married folks. I hope you're planning on coming today. It's going to be a blast. We're going to meet here at the church at 5 o'clock. Child care will be provided, and we're going to be having a scavenger hunt at Portage Park. So come on out. It's going to be tons of fun. This Wednesday, our Righteously Redeemed Elevate Youth Group is youth life group is meeting, 11 to 18 years old, 6 p.m. at that address. Yeah. Wednesday as well, King's Kids, infant to fifth grade, 6.30 here at the church every week for our children. Thursday, we have our gang outreach, 18 years and up, 7 p.m. Come on, if you've never uh, gone witnessing or joined that life group, go on and join them. It's a powerful, powerful time on the streets. And then every Friday, we have two adult Bible studies. One is at the Govea's house. The other one is at the Vivid's house, 7 p.m., and uh, this week is going to be a special Friday because we're actually combining the two adult Bible studies and we're meeting here at 7 p.m. so that we can go to the Puerto Rican Festival Outreach and get an extra day of street witnessing. So wave your hand in the air if you go to those life groups. Come on. I'm sure they've communicated with you, so we want to we go out strong. And we're just going to take that Friday evening, go scope out the land like they have been all these Saturdays, and we're just going to do straight street witnessing one-on-one and combine those life groups. We're going to have a powerful time, so join us for that. Look to your neighbor say, get mentored. We want to mentor you here through our 101 and 201 books. The 101 book is called Welcome to Your New Life, and that's done one-on-one with a leader in the church who will really be an encouragement to your life and your journey with the Lord and challenge you to be all that you can be for God. When you graduate the 101, you'll get into the 201 class, Disciples That Make Disciples, where we train you to be a leader in the church so that one day you could be ordained as an elder or a deacon and do all that God has called you to do for his kingdom. And then we want to send you out to do evangelism every Saturday from 5 to 8. We're hitting the streets, preaching the gospel at various different neighborhoods and locations. This whole month we've been honing in on Humble Park because of the fest. So we're just believing that when we plant seeds, God's going to bring the harvest. Because what we, you know, he's the we plant, he waters, he grows. Amen? He grows it, we, we plant it, we water it, he grows it. He causes all things to grow. So we just have to do our part, church. We're not saving anybody. So if you feel this pressure, oh, I can't go evangelizing because I won't get anybody saved. It's not your job to save. Look to your neighbor and say, it's not your job to save anybody. It's your job to preach the gospel. Amen? So we got to be obedient. The Bible says go, make disciples of all nations, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to start in our city. So in a recap, our vision is loving God, loving people. Our strategy is to connect you, to mentor you, and to send you out. And our goal is to have 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches here and 500 around the world. Let me get a praise the Lord. Woo! Who's excited to give their tithes and offerings today to further God's kingdom on this earth? It is an honor that we get to partner with the Lord to do this. At MPI, we believe that a tithe is 10% of your uh, total income given regularly to the church. We believe the scriptures teach that. And we designate our offering towards the mission fund. We give towards various mission projects throughout the year where we could give Bibles and, and meet people's needs all across the world. And our, our building uh, offering as well where we take care of the needs around the church. You guys have been so faithful. Let's get into our lesson today in the Disciples Giving Book. We're on Section 2, Lesson 10. 
Offerings require obedience. The offering is a gift to God after our tithe. That is an amount between you and the Lord that you generously give with a cheerful heart. We're going to be reading from 2 Corinthians 9.13. If you're there, say, I'm there. It's right there in red. 2 Corinthians 9.13. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Let's read the three main points. Number one, prove yourselves. Just like how faith without action is dead, the same is true with love and generosity if it doesn't result in giving. We prove our thankfulness to God by giving generous offerings. So if we're really thankful for all that God has done for us, it's going to overflow out of a heart of generosity. We won't be Christians that are full of greed and stinginess. We will be grateful with a heart of gratitude and thanksgiving and giving. Number two, obedience to God. When God speaks to your heart concerning giving offerings, you are required to be obedient to his will just as you are to obey his other commands. So just like how he holds us accountable to obey all the other commands in scripture and living holy and, you know, avoiding evil and all that stuff, it's the same way we have to be obedient and to give our finances. And so it goes hand in hand. We can't do one without the other. If we could obey all of his other commandments and not be faithful with our, our finances, that's going to be a stumbling block in our life. So give freely and give generously and obey what God is telling you to do. There's nobody, you know, hitting you over the head this morning saying, give whatever's in your wallet. No, we're believing that you're in a relationship with the Lord, being sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and you're, you're doing what he's telling you to give. And number three, sharing with others. Just like how we teach our children that sharing is caring. How many parents have said that? Sharing is caring. We are reminded by Paul that if we truly confess Jesus as Lord and love the gospel, we should share our finances with others in giving offerings. By doing so, our gifts will result in much praise to God. And that's all for his glory. It's not for our glory. It's for the glory of God upon the earth. Here's a summary. Don't just be a hearer of God's word. Be a doer. Be obedient to give what God asks you to give. And here's three ways you could apply this lesson to your life. Number one, be a faithful tither. Number two, prove your faith by your actions. If you really believe you're blessed to be a blessing, act like it when it comes to giving offerings. And number three, live a life of obedience to all of God's commands. Don't be picking and choosing. Be obedient to everything God has called you to do. So on the count of three, that gets you excited, and that is you. Let's confess this over our life. One, two, three. The offering is a gift to God after the tithe and is given in a variety of ways. God said it should be a generous seed given with a cheerful heart from personal sacrifice. Offerings will always bring thanksgiving to God because they go towards charity and ministry supplies. We give offerings in obedience to God's word, sharing with others our blessings with a gracious heart by imitating Jesus and revealing where our treasure really is. Let's stand up to our feet this morning as we prepare to give the Lord our tithes and offerings. Again, a tithe is 10% of our total income. An offering is anything above that, an amount between you and the Lord that we designate towards missions and towards building. And you could put the exact amount on the envelope in the proper categories there so we could allocate the funds properly for you. Here are four ways you could give at MPI. Number one, in the bucket during the offering. Number two, in the wall-mounted drop boxes. 
Number three, in the back with a credit or debit card. You can see Pastor Griselda today if you would like to do that. And number four, you could go online and use Chase Quick Pay, PayPal, or Bill Pay at mpichurch.org forward slash giving. And so we're just thankful that you guys are on this journey with us this summer so we can have a soul-winning summer. This is our building fund for the rest of the year. This is where our offerings are going. And so we just want to thank you so much that you have partnered with us. And that's our challenge to everybody, our appeal to pray, to partner, to give. All those dates right there are all the rest of the Sundays that we have through October to win souls and do outreaches. And so that's where all the monies are going. Pastor Brandon is our guest worship um, minister during that time. And we're just uh, just believing God for so much. So we are wanting to change Chicago and the world one soul at a time. And so up to date, that's what we've raised. And that's how much we have less left, 5,543. How many of you guys believe we could do that by God's grace and his blessing? So keep pushing through, keep being faithful. Let's recite this verse together as it slides on over. Look to your neighbor and say, it's going to come. There it is. Philippians 4.19, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much, Lord, for your blessing to our lives. I ask, oh Lord, that we would be faithful, that we would be a people of generosity, that give with cheerful hearts, and because it overflows out of our relationship with you. I pray that any greed or selfishness or stinginess will be plucked out of our life so that we could bring glory and honor to you as we obey all of your commands. I pray that you bless the gift and the giver today. I pray that you would multiply it to beat the needs of your people in this city, in this nation, and across the nations of the world. Be glorified, O oh God, with this giving this morning. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Please come forward as you give, and we thank you so much for your generosity. Come on, how many are ready to learn about the family today? Say amen. Woo! Oh, look at that guy. Look at that. Oh, man, how many love Jesus? Let me get an amen. Amen. We got some mighty men of God. Can I get the Marcel men to stand up? The Varchug men. Come on, Varchug men. Look at these awesome men right here. Give it up for the Varchug men. Make some muscles. <laughs> All right, you guys may be seated. Some muscles. Good to have everybody here. Open up your Bibles with me to the passage that's going to come up on the screen here. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians. We're in a sermon series on uh, spiritual disciplines, and we're going to learn today about the family. Everybody say the family. 
Hey, and let me just tell you right now, thank you guys for showing up because we're not going to let the summer bring a slump to church. Amen? So thank you guys for coming on a sunny summer Chicago day and not going to the lake but coming to the church because you know the lake's still going to be there. Give yourselves a hand clap. Amen? Thank you. Thank you for being faithful to God. I love that. That's what's up on a Sunday for a pastor. This is like our Super Bowl, so we appreciate it. We're going to turn in our Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter, no, excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. I've got so many good things I want to talk to you guys today about. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Today, we are in a sermon series called Spiritual Disciplines, and we're going to learn about family order. And if you are already at your Bible verse, just look at this right here. Look at all the notes I got to go through today. We are going to be here for a long time. Look at all of this. These are all the notes. These are all the notes. Just for you. Just for you. Look at your neighbor. Go just for you. I'm still scrolling. Not even halfway done yet. These are the notes. We're going through all of this today. I know we can do it. And that's why I talk really fast, okay? And the notes are still going. We're still going. We're still going. There it is. We're going to make it there. How many believe we can make it to the end? We can make it to the end there. Now, I say that to you to kind of tease you a little bit uh, because I know there's no way I can go through all of this. But you know what? The family is such an important subject that I wanted to drop it like it was hot. I wanted to drop it like it was hot so that this week on your own and you're on the potty, if I may say it like that, the potty, you can pull out your phone because you know you do it and scroll through these notes you can scroll through these notes while you're on the potty. If that's too gross and you don't want to incorporate the notes in the potty, that's okay. Do it on your break. Do it instead of looking at Facebook. Put your face in his book, amen, and go through some of these notes. So today it's all about family. Somebody say family. Thank you. And it's all about spiritual disciplines. We're learning number two family. We got a bunch of them to go through. I'll explain that in a little bit for those of you who are new. But 1 Corinthians chapter 9, if you're there, somebody say I'm there. There you go. Come on. This is Paul talking. He said, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. How many winners do I have here today? Amen. Does anybody want to be a loser? Does anybody want to be losers? We don't want to be losers. We want to be what? Winners. Amen. I'm not making a gang sign, so y'all just be careful with me right now. But winners, not Users. And that's what Paul said. We run in such a way as to get the prize. I want to get a prize in this thing. Now, if Jesus said, listen, I want you to serve me, and I'll have green beans in heaven for all of eternity, but you do it because I'm God, I made you, and that's just the way it is. I would still do it because I'm like, you're God, all right? You gave me oxygen. You could take it away at any moment, and I couldn't breathe, you know, without God, so I'll, I'll do it. But you know what? God didn't say that. God said in heaven there are many mansions. God said in heaven there's a crown for those who have been serving him. God said in heaven there is a feast of the finest of wines and the finest of meats. How many are ready for that? The finest of wines and the finest of meats are in the heavenly uh, supper that we have with him. Now think about this. Run in such a way as to get a prize. Look at verse 25. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. Now he's talking to Romans. Strict training about their games was what they did in their gladiator fights, what they did in their Olympics because they borrowed from the Greek culture. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. How many want a crown? 
crown that will last forever. I'm not talking about a Burger King crown that only lasts for the birthday party. I'm not talking about a Tierra Miss America crown that only lasts a few years or a couple decades. I'm talking about an eternal crown that represents your life for Jesus. How many want to go to heaven and Jesus give you a crown and the jewels represents your life, your obedience to him? Do you want that? Amen. That's what I want. Now, once again, if Jesus said, you just do it because I told you to do it, I would still do it. And I'd be like, okay, I'm coming to heaven because he told me I should do this. And I don't want to go to hell. Does anybody want to go to hell? Hell is what? Mui Mall. Hell is Mui Mall. You don't want to go to hell. And for those that don't speak Spanish that aren't liking the end with us, let me tell you what Mui Mall means. Very bad. Very bad. If you speak another language, look to your neighbor and say it in their language. Uh, uh, speak, say it in your language very bad. How would you say it in Greek? just had a blank. Oh, no pressure. No pressure at all. <laughs> Come on, brother. Say it right now in Romanian. There it is. Very bad. Are we ready? What do we, what do we speak? Hindi? No? Hindi? Okay. Oh, my God. Are we now with the Greek? We now with the Greek. Polikako. No? Come on, say it in Tagalog. Tagalog, Tagalog, Filipino. Masama. Oh, Masama. There we go. So hell is what? Masama. Okay, so how many want to go to hell? You don't want to go there. You want to go to heaven. Have you figured it out, my wife? You speak Greek. We were at a Greek restaurant. I love you. I love you. If you ever get it, let me know. Look it up on Google. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Look at this, verse 26. Therefore, I don't run like someone aimlessly, just running around not knowing what I'm doing. And I don't fight like a boxer beating the air. I mean, how many of you would want to be uh, supporting your favorite fighter, say Manny Pacquiao, and he's running away from the fight, running aimlessly in the ring, and he's punching the air like that? Would you be happy for your fighter to do that? Of course not. Would you want your friend to do that if you were getting jumped and you're fighting the bad guy and your friend's just running as fast as he can, just punching the air? And that's a bad friend. It's a bad friend. Amen. Friends don't let friends get jumped. Amen. Okay, so watch. We don't do that. We don't live like that. That's what Paul said. No, I strike a blow to my body, hello, and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. This is where we get the understanding of spiritual discipline. Look at that term there, strict training, and put it together with the idea of making your body your slave. So here's the deal, y'all. We need to control our body. Our spirit is willing, Jesus said, but the flesh is weak. We can look to our past sermon series and understand how this works. We start off by knowing God, believing that he's our God and Savior. Then we believe that we share in the divine nature. And then number three, we believe we can do all that God said we can do. So if you believe it, say amen. Do you believe Jesus is your God and Savior? Come on, do you believe you share in the divine nature? Do you believe you can do all that God commanded you to do? Amen. So now you're going to show it. You're going to show it by spiritual disciplines. You're going to read your Bible. You're going to put your family in order. That's today's lessons. Next week, or rather, we'll skip over Father's Day because I'm going to speak a special message that day for the fathers. And I'm really excited about steak dinners. 
Amen. Steak dinner for the fathers. Come on, somebody. Scripture memorization, soul journaling, praying and worshiping, discipleship and Christ-likeness, Christian service, public evangelism, spiritual meditation, financial stewardship, Christian fellowship and church involvement. Listen, everybody, your flesh may not want to do these things. So what do you do? You beat your body, put it into slavery, and control it with your spirit. Don't let your body run aimlessly fighting the air. Make your body your slave. You tell your body it's time to read the Bible. You tell your body it's time to get the family in order. You get attitudes in check, right? Come on, somebody. You get your mind in check. You say, you know what? I may not have a good memory. I might have done things in the past. Some of you might relate to my past. I did drugs and had a terrible memory, but I started memorizing Scripture. Brain, you will receive this information, and you will remember it. You make your body your slave. I will worship God. I remember the first time I came to church after being saved, I remember going there, and people were raising their hands. And I said, boy, that's just, that looks cool. I would like to do that. But then I felt so embarrassed. I felt so embarrassed. Maybe, maybe some of these people will know who I am, or maybe I won't do it right. And then, you know what God said to me? He said, you used to go to the club and use your body for the devil all the time. And let me tell you, I couldn't dance in the club. And some of you all might be older and remember the Paladrome. I used to go there in Palatine when I lived around here. And you know what? I didn't know how to dance, but I still used that body for the devil. Hello. And Jesus said, now use that body for me. So I threw up my hands, and I just started worshiping God because he said everyone everywhere should lift up holy hands. That's what Jesus said. Amen. So you use your body to serve God. Why? Because we want to grow in these things. How many want to grow in goodness? How many want to grow in knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, uh, a gentleness rather? If you want those things, you've got to do those things. You want to grow, you've got to show. So how many want muscles? Come on, somebody say, I want some muscles. Well, you got to exercise, right? How many, want, how many people want some smarts? How many people want to be smart? you got to study. How many people want a girlfriend or a boyf- boyfriend? Some single people here you got to start dating like a Christian. There's a book to help you in the back. Hello? Don't date like you see on TV. Date like a Christian. How many want happy marriages here? Well, you better build your marriage. Don't listen to Oprah Winfrey. She don't know what she's talking about. She still hasn't married Stedman. Hello? Don't listen to them. Listen to Jesus. Come on, somebody. If you want to grow, you need to know and show that you're serious. Don't act like God doesn't do it for you and he does it for somebody else. Well, that religious stuff doesn't work for me. No, it's because you don't work it. Work the word and it will work for you. All of us here got muscles and we could get our muscles in shape. All of us have the same anatomy of bodybuilders. Hello, somebody. If you don't work it, it won't work for you. Let us put the word to work and work it and do what? Twerk it. Work it and twerk it. And all twerking is, don't think of Miley Cyrus, don't think of the worldly version of twerking. God have mercy. Please don't think of that. Think of the biblical Holy Spirit version of twerking. What twerking looks like is when you work in it, but you get a little swag in it. You know what I'm saying? Like my wife. My wife, when she's worshiping the Lord, she's got one of these prayer banner things, you know, that looks like when she waves it, it's, it's fire, you know. That's how she works it and she twerks it, you know. Some of you might have a Bible program. You're going to work it and twerk it because you're going to set up a Bible reading program on your app. And See, that's when you just get a little sassy with it, when you get some swag and working. And look at your neighbor and say, work it. 
Amen. Why? Because we learned this last sermon series. Just got to go and review for some of you. Look at your neighbor and say, review's for you. Come on, review is for you. Why are we doing this? Because salvation and sanctification is when we're made like Christ. Spiritual growth, that knowing and showing that we just look like, that's growing like Christ. Because we want to be renewed and transformed in our thoughts and behavior to think and act like Christ. Why? Because it's all about reflecting Jesus. You were made in the image of God. That's why God created you. That's why you have a conscious soul. You weren't made to uh, imitate, like I said, Miley Cyrus, Oprah Winfrey, whoever else. You were made to imitate Jesus. So the point is do it God's way and let's have God's results. Let's have God's par- purpose and plan in our lives. Do you want that? Can I hear an amen? I know that's what I want. And so I want you to think about this. Spiritual growth. When you look at this chart right here, look at this. Spiritual growth is between new birth and renewal and transformation. You see it right there? Spiritual growth is right in the middle. And then also think about this. In the chart of knowing, showing, and growing, showing is in between knowing and growing. So you see showing's in the middle there, and then spiritual growth is in the middle here. Why? It's because both of those things are the connectors to a changed life. You want to change life? You need spiritual growth. You want spiritual growth to work? You need to show it. I'm going to say that again. You want to change life? You need spiritual growth. You can't get around that. You want spiritual growth to work for you? You need to have spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are the strict training we put our bodies into so that we may serve Christ. And so this sermon series is about that. And today we're on number two, family order. Everybody say the family. Thank you. Now let me read some of this and let me keep your attention by making it interesting. But this is amazing to think about what's going on today in our families. Some of it's sad and some of it's good. And I want you to choose today to have a godly family. And I'm going to be talking about those who have been through divorces, those that may be single moms or single parents, children without parents that don't serve the Lord. I'm going to try to hit on a lot of different things. So I'm not just talking about the leave it to beaver kind of family today. Today, the greatest display of God's love in nature can be seen in a happy and healthy family. Do you guys understand that? The greatest display of God's power upon the earth is in a happy and healthy family. Since the devil knows this, he is out to destroy the family and bring death instead of life and tries to bring hurt instead of joy and healing. So think about this. If God's first plan for the people was to be married and to have family and to be fruitful and multiply, then that is the greatest display of God upon the earth, a happy marriage and a happy family with children obeying their parents. What do you think the devil is going to attack first? What's he going to attack? He's going to attack the family. And what's he going to go for first in the family? He's going to go for the parents. He's going to go for the marriage. He's going to go for the father. He's going to go for the destruction of that foundation. And so presently in America right now, over 40% of first-time marriages end in divorce. And then 60% for the second time they're married, so it ain't working, right? They think, well, I'm going to do it again. But stupid is, a stupid does, and they brought their problems with them. Well, I'm going to leave you. But, yeah, you can't leave yourself. You'll bring your problems right into the next relationship. Well, I'm going to move into another city. But listen, you're going to go into that city, and you're going to have the same problems you had here because you're going to bring your problems with you. And then 73% get divorced for the third time marriage. Why is that? Because they're not doing it God's way. And now people are forgetting about marriage, wanting to go into those living relationships. Marriage is on the decline because people are just giving up. And so these marriages are ending in divorce. What What do they normally involve? Adultery, sexual sin. Roughly one out of ten marriages right now, 10%, are suffering from infidelity. 
in the age group of those over 60 and less than 35, on average, are committing more adultery than ever before. So the younger generation, 35 and under, they're not lasting very long right now. And guess what, senior saints? Those 60 years and older aren't lasting well either. Think about that. 60 years and older are having the same kind of divorce rates of the young ones, and we don't know about the middle ones. All we know, they're doing a little bit better, but they haven't reached 60 yet. So we need to pray. Look at this. Older couples, around 30% are less satisfied with their marriage and are more willing to be unfaithful than previous generations. And those in their first years of marriage, around 20%, make little or no effort to fight adulterous temptations. So whether it's life expectancy, people are living longer or regretting their first wife, whatever, older people are having these divorces. And now the newer generation, whether it's from entertainment or watching Real Housewives of Jersey Shore, God have mercy, they're starting to say, well, hey, it's normal to have affairs. And oftentimes, think about this, the marriages that are ending end in these power struggles with selfishness and deep emotional hurt for both persons involved. Sadly, the children, then somebody say the children, it's all about the kids, are the ones who are hurt the most. They needlessly suffer as they watch their mom and dad destroy the family they built and try to start two new lives where they used to be one. Now look at what God said about this, Malachi 2.16. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect. God says this, the one who hates and divorces his wife is doing violence to the one he should protect. Did you all just hear that? God considers it like violence to end a marriage in that kind of way. In other words, God hates divorce. The one who wants to leave their spouse and to do it another way, God says, I hate that. Throughout the years of my ministry, I've been doing this for almost uh, 20 years as a Christian, about 16, 17 years as a pastor. I have yet to see a divorce that did not emotionally crush the couple involved and harm the children in some way. And though each divorce is unique, think about it, everybody goes through their own situation for their own reasons. Most of the time, the mother is given custody of the children, and the father only has a limited role. And now they're finding that the studies show that fatherless homes has a deep, profound, negative effect on children. And how many believe that? Just fatherless homes are going to cause problems with children. Does anybody believe that? Are you up this morning? How many think fatherless homes are great? They're great ideas. We should just do them more. Okay, how many think fatherless homes are muy mal? Do we know bad for Greek yet? Okay, what does it mean very bad in Greek? Polikako. Oh, polikako. Did I already get that from you? Oh, I forgot. I'm sorry. Now that's my fault. Now watch this. What are the problems in a fatherless home? Girls who grow up without a father in the house are more likely to get pregnant before marriage, struggle with their low self-worth, and have more financial troubles in life. Now the boys who grow up without a father are more likely to get a girl pregnant before marriage, nine times more likely to get arrested and do jail time. Both genders will have a harder time getting good grades, staying in school, and will struggle themselves with healthy relationships and marriages with the opposite sex. Is it any wonder that when we went to no-fault divorce in the 60s, out of the families we were building in the 50s with Leave it to Beaver, is it any, any coincidence that out of the 60s and the revolution of sex and drugs that now today the world is a mess? Drugs are in our lives. Families are broken. Now more children are being born to families without husbands and wives, mothers and fathers. Think about that. Do you think that has a role into our urban violence? Do you think that plays a role into our corruption of our politics? When you don't grow up with discipline and godliness in the home, you'll probably not learn it anywhere else. It's very rare to learn that. Do you think you'll learn morality at college? 
Hello, parents, for you who make it your dream to send your kids to college. You better get them saved first because college will not help your child. College will destroy their soul. If smart people had great souls, then everybody with a Ph.D. would be like Gandhi, but they're not. People are in colleges not just learning about partying, learning about sexual perversion. They're learning about a godless world. You listen to me. You tell the businessman the evolutionary story. He came from a monkey. He's matter in motion. What do you think he's going to do when he operates a business? He will not treat his employees as he wants to be treated. He will treat them as they are in the animal kingdom. Might is right and the weak are meat. Hello? You can't get upset with Enron unless you understand the system of Enron. The corruption of our politicians have come from the corruption of their morality, not being taught God in the homes and certainly not in their colleges. So what is the answer to our crisis right now in the family? We must come to the Bible, that book that God gave us, that instructional book that talked about where mankind actually came from, where genders were defined by the creator, where sexuality was defined by the creator. Hello. We go back to that book. We go back to those ways, and we start to follow the instructions for a blessed life. Now, will every man here in his flesh want to stay married to one woman? No, his flesh may want to commit adultery multiple times a day. But he puts his body into strict training. He strikes a blow to it and makes it his slave. And he remains faithful to his wife. Is every wife here going to naturally want to serve and submit to her husband as she does to Christ? No, that wife may want to get sassy, get a little bit of an attitude, and start nagging and commanding and demanding in the home. But she must put her body, her attitude in subjection to Christ, make it a slave to Jesus, and follow God's order. There is no excuse. Our children, hello, parents, if you don't like the marriage order, do you like the family order for your kids? Because I'll hear mom and dad argue you all the time. Well, I don't know if she's supposed, well, I don't know if I'm supposed to love her as Christ does the church, and I don't know if I'm supposed to submit to him as Christ does the church. They'll argue, but then you say, do you want your kids to obey you? Oh, yeah, we can agree on that. We'll show them your obedience by being the husband and wife God called you to be. And now all young people, the Bible says that rebellion, rebellion is a sin of witchcraft. And so that you are to obey your parents, that your life may be long upon this earth. That is the first of the Ten Commandments that God gave with a promise. When he gave the Ten Commandments, he said, thou shall not, thou shall not, thou shall not. And then when he said, thou shall obey thy father and thy mother, then he gave a promise. He gave an incentive to the kids that it may go well with you. So what's the answer? Go back to the Bible. Let's all start here. Let's stop making excuses. See, today we've turned away from that Bible, haven't we? And instead of having the biblical foundations, what do we have in our families now? Sin, wickedness, and we do whatever seems right in our own eyes. That's why we need biblically to be restored to the family. Somebody say, help us, Jesus. I want to show you the purpose of mankind. God is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. What do we call that doctrine? The Trinity. What is mankind? Man, woman, and what? Child. See, see the similarities. I've added some red and white writing here to help the black, the writing of the scriptures, to come to life to you. God the Father said, let us, the Trinity, make mankind in our image. Three persons sharing one nature, the God nature. 
in our likeness, complex unity, tri-personal unity. So God the Son created mankind in his own image, in the image of God, the Trinity, he, Jesus, created them, male and female, two persons. He created them. God the Son then blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, the third person, and increase in number. Take a look at that chart and see the profound nature of family. Family is the representation of our triune God. God is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons in one race and one being. The God race, the God kind, the God being. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Not three gods and not one God appearing as three different manifestations. One God, one race, one being of what we would call God. When I say race, I say the kind of God that he is. He is the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. And then there is only one race, one, one kind of human race, one mankind. And those are three separate persons joining together to make that. Man, woman, child. Man, woman, child. Some have taken this to mean father is corresponding to an earthly father, that Jesus corresponds to child, and then that the Holy Spirit corresponds to a woman. That is actually a false doctrine that some believe, and they think the Holy Spirit is a feminine spirit, and that the Father and the Holy Spirit made Jesus in a sexual union. That is a false doctrine. That is a crazy doctrine. There is no similarity in father to father, woman to woman, or son to son. It's just similar in this. When God made us, he made us in plurality. And that's why he is speaking there in the beginning in plurality. God said, if you just read the passage by itself, God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Who is the plurality there? Is God saying, I'm going to make man in the image of God and the angel? So he's looking at an angel and he's talking? No. When he said, let us, the Father is looking at the Holy Spirit and the Son, saying, let us, three divine persons, make mankind in our image. Try unity. So can the world redefine sexes according to this definition of God? Can they redefine? Can a person born with male genitalia now call himself a woman? Not according to this scripture, because the plurality is in the reflection of the image. You don't have then two men having a child. Can two men make a child? Can two women make a child? So not only does the Bible here teach us that the plurality of image is important in the family, but the plurality of male and female is the only way to procreate the third kind of person, which is a child. Now, we know the child's race is not a separate uh, gender. It is a male or female gender, but it has a distinct role. That child has a distinct role from the mother and the father. So that is why it is a third person in that family. If you have more questions about that, talk to your life group leaders who on Friday nights are repeating a lot of these same things. So I want you now to think about what Jesus said to us when it came to the family and how we should have it. He spoke through the Apostle Paul. Look at this here, Ephesians 5.21, and he said, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Everybody say, Submit yourselves. 
Amen. Now, verse 22, wives, submit yourselves as to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives also submit to their husbands in everything. And all the men here said amen. How many men get excited about that? I see some castrated men here. They're not willing to say amen. We got some half-limp-wristed men up in here. I need some manly men that came here today with their spiritual cojones. The Bible says wives submit to husbands and all the men said. Amen. Amen. You better believe that. Don't you look at your wife and say, do I have permission to say that? Don't you ask her back for your cojones. You should have them. You should have them, men. I'm telling you, I got a lot of men that come to this church, and they get intimidated by their wife because their wife knows more about the Bible or prays more than them and is more spiritual. But that's not what the Bible said, that we as husbands should submit to our praying, Bible-reading wife. No, the Bible says wives submit to your husbands. And so husbands, you need to be a man of God. You need to be a leader. And when you hear the command of Christ, you should say amen. But now there is a command for you, husbands. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by wash, the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are all members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. Now, all the women that want a man to love you as Christ loves the church, women, let me hear an amen. Amen. There you go. So in the summary right here at the end, you see that wives are to respect their husbands and husbands are to love their wives as Christ does the church. That's the order of the marriage. My friend, we need to get that order back. Don't you tell me that this is old-fashioned and outdated. If this in your culture is wrong, I don't want to be right according to your culture. There is no better example than Jesus and the church, and that is what is used here. The church submits to Jesus, and that is the role of the wife. The Jesus that we serve is a king, and he is to love and respect that church, or he has decided to love and respect that church, and that is the role of the husband. There is no changing of disorder. There is no changing with the culture, with fashion, etc., or what you've read in some cool little you know, book online. This is... The foundation for family. Did you notice how many times the word church was found in this passage? Let me read it again, but first let me give you the command for the children then. Children, obey your parents, for this is right. And all the parents said, I said all the parents said, amen. You see, if you only take your children boating, if you only take them to 
Disney World, they will bust hell wide open with you, mom and dad. But if you teach them to come to church, to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, you can stand in your house with authority and say, obey me as you obey Jesus because we're the king and queen of this castle. If you don't like how your rebellious children are acting, I want to ask you, mom and dad, are you rebellious to your heavenly father? Because don't bring them to church on youth Fridays asking me to fix them when you haven't been bringing them on Sundays to Sunday school for the last 12 years. Bring your children to church, raise them up as they ought to be, and then when they're old, they won't depart. Amen? Now, you won't hear Dr. Phil say that, so shut him off and open up your Bible. You might get mad at me, but it's tight, but it's right. This is the Bible speaking. Now, listen to me. You can go to hell with this culture if you want. But as for me and my house, we've decided we're serving the Lord. If you don't want to go with me, that's okay. I'll see whoever's up there that's supposed to be up there. But I want to know, does anybody else want to go to heaven with me? Does anybody else want to serve God with me? This is our instructions. And fathers, don't exasperate your children. Exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And children, if you don't want to be physically whooped and abused by your parents, if you don't want to be forced to do things you don't want to do, and parents, uh, children, if you don't want to be discouraged in serving God, let me hear the children say amen. There should be a few youth in here. Come on, youth. If not, I'll whip you right now. I'll exasperate you right now until you're tired of it. I want to hear some amens from the young people. If you don't want to get whooped and beaten to serve God and be exasperated, you kids say amen. There you go. You better say amen. Because you see, there's a balance, is there not? Is there not a balance? The husband is in charge, but his domineering dictatorship will not work. He's a loving leader like Christ. The wife submits, but she's not to be a spineless spouse. She's to be a serving leader in her home. And the children, they are to be taught and trained, but they are not to be exasperated or abused. Now, how many times do we see the word church mentioned here? I just wonder, would you count that with me, starting at the beginning of this passage? It says then in verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the Church, one, verse 24, now as the church second time submits to Christ, wives to submit to their husbands. Verse 25, just as Christ loved the church third time to make her holy, cleansing and washing with the word. Verse 27, to present to her, to, uh, present her to himself as a radiant church. How many is that? Four, thank you. In the same way, husbands ought to love their bodies, uh, uh, love their wives as their own body. Verse 29, just as Christ does the Church, how many are we on right now? Five, for we are members of his body, which is another word for church. That's six. And it says this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and his church. Seven times the word church is used in this passage in the midst of teaching us our spiritual family order. So what should it look like? Some of you might have seen this before in a black and white image that was passed around Facebook, but I made it a little bit better for you and a little bit biblical, more biblical. God is the authority of all mankind. And how does God dispense his authority to the world? Through his church, that thing that was mentioned seven times. Because in the church, a husband learns how to be a husband. A wife learns how to be a wife. A child learns how to serve God. That's why you're here today, isn't it? 
Because if you didn't need the church, all you needed was your Bible, then you could do this on your own. But listen, Jesus didn't promise that he would build your family and the gates of hell would not prevail. No, but he said he would build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. You show me a family that is successful, godly, and biblical, I'll show you a family that is in the church of Jesus Christ. You show me a family that's broke, busted, and disgusted, I'll show you a family that has left the authority of the church. Now, I don't mean a local church, just MPI with me as a pastor in this brick-and-mortar building. I'm talking about the capital C church, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, that which is coming to rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years. I'm talking about what Jesus said he would establish. The gates of hell would not prevail. Where he said his authority would be and the pillars of truth would be, that church is what we're supposed to be a part of. Does it have a local expression? Absolutely. So here today, I want to ask husbands, are you willing to be trained to be the men and women of God or the men of God you're supposed to be? Wives, are you willing to be the women of God that you're supposed to be? And children, are you willing to learn from the church what God says? Now you see today, the Roman Catholics have idolized the church and many in the Protestant non-denominational churches have minimized the church, but yet there's a good place right in the middle where we honor the church and we understand our role in the church. See, the church is what taught my father how to be the man that he is today. The church taught my mother what she was to be in her role. That church that they were a part of, whether it was in one building or another building, it didn't matter, but the church they were a part of taught me the scriptures. Then as I got older and I went to Bible college, the church was in the Bible college I went to. As elders, those who were older in the faith took me under their wings and taught me about marriage, taught me further about raising a family. And then there, as I started to work in the ministry, I started to function in that church, providing that same example for others. So today, are you willing to follow the church for the role of your fa- uh, in the role of your family? I'm not talking about church activities. I'm not talking about you just simply saying, oh, uh, I I will uh, put church things before my family. That's not what I'm saying. You're not supposed to do everything in the church. You can't. We have right now, starting in July, 12 life groups, and right now in June we have 11 life groups. You couldn't do everything if you wanted to. But what you can do is dedicate yourself to what Jesus said is mandated for all. What's mandated for all is that we're disciples that make disciples. What's mandated for all is these spiritual disciplines. And those spiritual disciplines, just to remind you, are the very commands of Jesus. These spiritual disciplines, the showing of our faith, are the commands of Jesus, and you are to do these being trained by the church. Do you know how to memorize scripture as you ought? Do you know how to write journals as you ought? Do you know how to pray and worship as you ought? Do you know how to live like Christ as you should? Do you know how to participate in Christian service, public evangelism, spiritual meditation, financial stewardship? Can you do these by yourself? No, you cannot. I'll answer the question for you. No, you cannot. Now, is the church your savior? Jesus is your savior. But Jesus uses the church. Can I show you that in the Bible so you don't take my word for it? Have confidence in your leaders and what? Submit to their authority. How many of you submit to the authority of police in Chicago today? How many of you submit to the authority of the IRS? How many of you submit to the authority of our immigration laws? Hello, let's make it real. Come on, somebody. 
How many of you submit to the authority of your boss and come on time and leave on time? Hello? How many of you submit to the authority of God? How many of you submit to the authority and the leaders of God? Why? Because they keep watch over you as ones who must give an account. I will give an account for what I did here. If you don't believe in the church, that's a separate doctrine. We'll discuss that later. But I believe in the church. I believe Jesus is here right now. I believe Jesus is bigger than my personality and bigger than my giftings to lead this congregation. I believe Jesus is found in the plurality of elders that we have and the deacons that serve here. I believe that this church is a taste of heaven on earth. I believe that this society, this culture that we are establishing here will be what's on the earth for a thousand years ruling and reigning with Christ and will exist in eternity. Have confidence in your leaders. Submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as ones who must give an account. Do this that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be on, of no benefit to you. And then you can turn quickly to 1 Peter chapter 5. We see again that the church has a job of shepherding souls. Who is our great shepherd? Jesus is. But look at verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 1 of 1 Peter. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder. Does Pope come into the, co uh, the context here? Is there a Pope here? But Peter is writing this, and what does he call himself? To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder. So it's not one pope leading the church. It's a plurality of elders, a witness of Christ's suffering, who will also share in the glory to reveal, be revealed. Look at what it says here. Be shepherds. That's where we get the word pastor from. Be shepherds of God's flock that are under your care. Do you want to see the Greek word there for shepherd? It is the Greek word pimone, where we actually get the word pastor. Those in spe speaking Spanish can understand this. A pastor taco relates to a shepherd. That's where the name is derived from. The pimone here is the word shepherd. It's where we get our word pastor from, shepherd. He said, be pastors, elders. Be shepherds of God's flock that are under your care, watching over them. Come on, somebody. Say amen. Watching over them as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain. I should not be wanting to do this to get your money, but eager to serve. Eager to serve you. I hope you see that in my life and those here. I'm loving you right now. Amen. This is me serving you. Praise God. And I'll serve you in many other ways. Amen. And if you get sassy, I will serve you a real good spiritual spanking. No, I'm kidding. But I will serve you. I tell that to my children. I'm loving you by doing this. We, do we not love our children when we spank them? And you got to sometimes, sometimes adults need spankings. They're just not in the form of paddles and whips and chains and all that. No, but sometimes you got to tell adults, stop that. Don't do that. A rebuke is a spiritual spanking. Can I hear an amen? Look, look right here. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Now listen, if somebody goes, well, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to submit to the elders. I don't want to do that. I'm going to do it on my own. I got a Bible. I can read it. I can follow the commands without the church. Okay, now I want you to understand what God's going to do to you. God opposes the proud. God puts out his arm in front of you and says, you will proceed no further. You will not go further in the kingdom beyond what you are willing to humble and submit yourself to. 
If you will not humble and submit yourself to Christ's church, the very church he died for, the church that he is the foundation of, the church that he calls his body, the church that he calls his bride. If you say, I love you, Jesus, but I hate your church, it's like saying, Pastor Joe, I love you, but I hate your wife. That's what you are in his eyes. And he says he opposes you, but he shows favor to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. The reason why many struggle with anxiety in this culture is because they don't trust the church and what the church says that God is doing. You say this and this and this and this and this bothers me and this worries me and this worries And then the preacher says this is what God says. And you reject that, you're rejecting God. You're rejecting the word that the preacher is preaching. Right now I'm getting my doctorate and the class that I'm studying is the biblical art of preaching. And the history of biblical preaching has always been when the preacher speaks the word of God, not his or her opinion, but when they speak the word of God, you are hearing God's voice. This is the tradition of all preachers for all times. The Methodists, the Reformers, they believed when you sat and you heard the word, you were hearing God's voice. I remember being newly saved, hearing the preachers preach, and sure, they would tell silly stories and things that would put me to sleep, but there would be certain times where the men of God or the women of God would be preaching the word of God, and my heart would burn within me. Sometimes tears would come streaming down my face. Other times I would feel like I had to shout and get excited. And then other times I was waiting for that altar to be open so that I could run and get on my knees and say, I have sinned against you, God. I remember one time I was bitter towards my Bible college president. I was sitting in a church service, and a man said, if you have bitterness, you can't go to heaven. It's a deed of the flesh. Those who live like this, according to Galatians chapter 5, verse 21, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I said, I'm not sure if I had it, have bitterness, but I know I've been angry at people. And then the preacher went on to say this. Now let me define bitterness for you. If you cannot say to your enemy, God bless them as you bless me. If you cannot bless your enemy as you want to be blessed, because that's what Jesus said, bless those who curse you. If you can't do that, you are bitter. And the moment I thought of that person, all the words of anger came in my heart. It certainly wasn't a blessing. I waited for him to finish that sermon for about 10, 15 minutes. And then he said, listen, if you are bitter, you run up to this altar. You confess your bitterness and your sin because it will damn your soul to hell. I came up there so fast. It was a church of 2,000. I came up there so fast that he noticed me, pulled me up on the stage, and began to pray for me in front of everybody. But there wasn't no shame in the game. See, I was willing to work the word so that it could work for me. And I got set free from the bitterness of my heart that day. I fell down and went boom. Amen. Jesus touched me. He touched me. Yes, he did. Look at your neighbor and say, that's just the introduction. What I want to get into now is the roles of husbands and wives, fathers and mothers and children. This is now where I have the rest of the notes because you are ready for the, the, let me just finish part of the introduction and then we'll move on to the message. Amen. Four sins that are destroying marriage today is cohabitation. How many know what that is? That's living together, having sex without being married. Same-sex marriage, which we know is not marriage at all. It's a same-sex mirage. And that is the same thing with body man uh, manipulation and changing gender. It's a mirage. You're always going to be the gender God made you to be. And marriage is only between man and woman. Sexual perversion within marriage, adultery and pornography, that destroys a marriage, and no-fault divorce. The only biblical reason we're given for divorce is abuse, adultery, and abandonment. Hebrews 13.4 says marriage should be honored by all. How many should honor marriage? 
Okay, should homosexuals honor marriage? Yes, should lesbians honor marriage? Should those with gender confusion honor marriage? Should Oprah Winfrey honor marriage? Should you honor marriage? Should Miley Cyrus honor marriage? How many should honor marriage? All in the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Remember when uh, Desperate Housewives was on and Eva Longoria, she was so cute and she was on that show? She was showing you how to go to hell, ladies. That's what she was showing you to do because God will judge her for her adultery and her sexual immorality. Are you ready for the message? How many think I can preach this message in four minutes? There's no way I can do it. Some of you want me to try. That would, that would, that would have my words per minute go to a level that would be totally un understandable. Nobody would No one could understand. But let me just start off very simply with the summaries. Here we go. Husbands, what are your role? Your role is to love your wife as Christ does the church. Christ gave himself up for the church. You give yourself up for your wife. She comes first now in your life. You don't walk around the house stomping your feet saying, I'm in charge. That's the way to show that you're not in charge and to act like a spoiled brat. Men, if you want your wives to follow you, love them as Christ does the church and give yourself up for them. Well, what if they don't listen? Well, you keep loving them until they do. That's what you do. Support and take care of your wife. I believe that men and women can work hard and do things equally. The Bible teaches that, by the way. So if people have used Christianity for slavery, they're going to hell. And if people have used the Bible to put down women, they're going to hell. Understand that very clearly. The Bible says slave traders will go to hell. And the Bible says that men and women were both made in the image of God. And if anybody has ever taught you otherwise, that is a lie. It's not just men because then the rib was taken from them and made woman. No, go back to the beginning. In Genesis, it says man and woman together were made in the image of God. Together, not separate. Can I hear an amen to that? So just because God gave us different roles doesn't mean we have different identities. Understand this. Get this real clearly. The father has a different role than the son in the Trinity, but they still share the divine nature of God. Are you listening? The father and Jesus are not lesser gods or greater gods. They're not competing with each other. Jesus is fully God, just like the father is fully God. But when Jesus came on the earth, he said, I do nothing unless the father tells me. He says, I only do what the father tells me. See, they had different roles. The son submits to the father, but they are of the same nature. Though the wife submits to the husband, they are of the same nature in the image of God. Can I hear an amen? And children, listen to me. Parents, you abuse your children. I want to be very clear with you because I may not get to this. You abuse your children. Jesus' word said this to you. If you cause one of these to stumble, it would be better for you to go to Lake Michigan, take a thousand pound millstone that was driven by mules to grind up grain for bread, tie it around your neck and jump into the ocean. That's what God says to you. Don't mess with your children. Do not harm your children. You are worse than an infidel. So if you call yourself a Christian, you believe in slavery, you're going to hell. You believe in uh, putting down women, you're a Christian, you're going to hell. You are a false Christian, rather. And you believe in abusing your children, you're going to hell, you are a false Christian. Can I hear an amen to that? I say that because I love you and I don't want you to go to hell. And you're like, Pastor, you talk about hell a lot. I get that from Jesus. Jesus talked about hell a lot, didn't he? One of the atheists even said that. He said, he woke up to this. He goes, you know, everybody talks about nice Jesus, nice Jesus. He goes, really, Jesus is the most craziest guy in the Bible. That's what an atheist said. And if you really look at it from their perspective, you understand. Because Jesus is talking about, I'm going to judge you. Hellfire is coming. I'm coming with angels. You do this. You're going to hell. Jesus wasn't as nice all the time as they think he was. Amen? Christians should know that, Jesus, too. Just remember when we say, what would Jesus do? Whipping in the temple is an option. All right? So what would Jesus do? Just, let's just put that on the table. That's one of my ten options to do today. 
but it's not abuse as long as it's adults, amen, because I ain't whooping my child like that, amen. I'm not doing it. I'm going to spank them, but I'm going to do it as the Bible teaches me, for their benefit, not for my stress release. Be united with your wife in everything. That means, husbands, you need to move with your family, not just say you're following me and drag them behind you. Let them learn from the will of God. If you have the will of God and they don't have it yet, take your time and move them. Move with them. But let them know at the end of the day, we're going in this direction. But be patient with them. Love them. Okay, the biblical roles of wives, this is it. Here it is. I'm being honest with you. This is the Bible. You can take it up with Jesus if you have a problem. Submit to your husbands as the church submits to Christ. And then the second thing he said to them, submit to your husbands and everything you do. It may not sound like something you want on your refrigerator, but you should put it there if you have trouble with this. Submit to my husband and everything I do. I don't know how else to say that to you other than that's what God said, and I have three daughters, and the fourth one's on the way right there. And I will teach them the same principle. And I will say, then you better choose your husband right. Don't choose your husband because he can lift a lot of weights at the gym. Don't choose your husband because he can tell you a lot of romantic things and buy you stuff. Choose your husband because he's a man of God, because God has told you to submit to him. Amen? Now, what does it look like to be a godly father? Father's Day will be next week. Here are the things all fathers should be aiming for. These are ten wonderful things. Love God and keep his commands, fathers. Love your wife and always meet her needs. Love your children and raise them in the way of God. Be dedicated to your family and to your job. Have kindness and patience and compassion in directing your family. Men, if you're ever talking to your children like you would to somebody in a UFC fight, you have lost the character of God. The Bible says be angry and sin not. Men have been created with an ability to be violent and to defend and to hurt others who infringe upon that. If you take that anger and that passion to defend your family and you do it to your wife, you do it to your kids, you're already in the wrong. Verbal abuse is abuse. Can I hear an amen to that? Keep the order and peace in your home as designed by God. Lead by example in the church and help serve in the ministry. Once again, show your, show your children that you're serving God. My dad showed me he served God the entire time I lived in the family. you got to remember, I didn't grow up in a preacher's home. I grew up in a businessman's home with a stay-at-home mom, and I saw him lead by example as well as my mom. Have respect and love for others. Be kind and generous. Show grace and forgiveness. Enjoy life. Be full of faith through life's ups and downs. Don't quit. And do all things unto God. Can I get an amen for that? How many believe a Proverbs 31 woman can exist today? How many believe women can be righteous and not ratchet? Amen. It's time to be righteous, women. Amen. It's time to go back to what the Bible says. Proverbs 31. I did this for you. I'm serving you today. Remember, I'm doing this for you. This is how I went through it. I took out every one of those major uh, verses, made them separate points, la labeled them for you. There's about uh, here, there's 21, uh, 22 attributes of a Proverbs 31 woman. What is a Proverbs 31 woman? She's valuable. She's trustworthy. She's hardworking. She's selective. She's shrewd. She's a provider. She's savvy. She's strong. She's diligent. She's a multitasker. She's compassionate. She's confident. She's beautiful. She has a respected husband. She respects her husband. She's prosperous. She's defined, uh, dignified. She's wise. She's involved in her family. She has a blessed family. She's an overachiever. She's God-fearing, and she's honored. Amen? If women cannot have children, you can still be this. Amen? I'm not saying that you have to have children to be this, but this is the idea for the natural course of things. It's a natural course for healthy men and women to bear forth children. And adoption, let me just say this, shouldn't just be for those who have uh, conception issues. Adoption should be an option for all of us. 
It shouldn't even, it's a command of God as a matter of fact. So we shouldn't even be asking God, should I adopt? We should be asking God, how do I adopt? And that literally means to either bring them into your home, volunteer in the foster care program, or support uh, orphanages and those who are doing that. And our mission dollars, part of it goes to the orphanages of Mozambique, Africa. Children, what are you supposed to do? Don't want to leave you out. Here's things you're supposed to do at home. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love and honor your parents doing the things they ask. Listen, even if your parents don't serve God, follow all of their commands up until sin. If they ask you to sin, hey, get high with me. Get drunk with me. Sell these drugs for me. Beat up somebody for me. You say, no, I serve God. Everything else you obey. You clean your room. You come home on time. You get good grades. You obey your parents, and you show them by your life of godliness that Jesus has changed you. Do well in school. Be committed to the church and helping others. There's nobody else that should be more dedicated to the church than young people. Not to their gangs, not to getting rich. They should be in the church. Let me tell you a story right now that will bless you. It will bless you right now. Let me tell you one because I see these awesome men here. Church, just like this in Canada. And I want you to find me his name. Griselda, you know the name. Find it for me, please. I'll put him up here. Church in Canada, Pentecostal church, maybe a little smaller, big, I have no idea, but it was a storefront church. A man was an alcoholic. He was walking by. Somebody invited him in. He came into that church. He gave his heart to Jesus. He then raised his children in that Pentecostal church. His child then became one of the top ten billionaires of Canada. I want you to get me that name, Griselda, quickly. One of the top ten billionaires, billionaires of Canada. And you know what he did? He used his wealth to start Pentecostal schools where the admittance, one of the things was 80% have to be Pentecostal. Don't you tell me that this preaching here will not change a life. Don't tell me that it doesn't work in the business world. If you take it serious and you want to be a man of God, this kind of preaching will change your life. Did you find it for me? Somebody find it for me and send it to me because I want you to check it out. I want you to just take my word for it. Obey all of God's commands. So let me just tell you, young people, being a billionaire is an option for God for you. Maybe not everybody will be a billionaire, but it's an option. God's already chosen those to do it. Choose good friends and great hobbies. Obey God's commands. Don't have sex until you're married. Follow God's plan for your life and future. Patiently wait for God to bring you your spouse and never give up or tired of serving Jesus. Can I hear amen to that? Let me give you some practical advice now in closing, if that wasn't enough. I want to give you right now, you're single without kids. You're an adult, you're single, you're without kids. Here's my advice to you. Love God, be the right kind of person that the opposite sex would want to marry. So that means you come in 100-100, not 50-50. You come ready to rock and roll. You'll know when you're ready to date when you're the person that God says that you are because you can't ask somebody else to be something that you're not already. Live holy, be patient, serve the Lord while waiting for your spouse. Obey your parents, grow in wisdom, work hard, okay? Have five weddings this summer. This is the advice that leads to godly marriages. What do you want to avoid, single young person? Feeling sorry for yourself, living in sin, and wasting your time. Young person, don't waste your time. Don't live in sin, and make sure you don't feel sorry for yourself. Now, you're single with kids. Maybe you're single mom, single father. What's my advice to you today? Love God, put your kids above everything else. Listen. Don't let the person you're dating dictate how you raise your kids. I've seen this happen too much, and it's sickening to me. I, I'm telling you, God would rather you be a single mom. Listen to me, moms. Listen to, I want every single mom to listen to me. We have a great single mom's ministry. God would rather you be single and endure through the struggle than you to give up the booty to some jerk that doesn't love Jesus but just bats an eye at you and makes you feel special. 
you will ruin, listen to me, you will ruin your children's future with that. You think that guy who's a bum and doesn't know how to serve God, you think he is going to take care of your kids and do the right thing? There are more, there are more, listen to me, higher stats of him abusing your children sexually, verbally, and physically than there are of him doing it right. Before a single mom, you introduce a woman, a man into your children's life, you make sure he's serving God. No compromise. No compromise. You stand strong upon the word of the Lord and say, God, you'll meet my needs. You'll be a help unto me. You'll provide strength for my kids. You'll, I'll bring them around the church so they can see godly men. But what I won't do is take that first jerk at the bar or some guy who takes me on at the, at the restaurant. I'm going to wait for the right one and avoid being overwhelmed, depressed, or bitter. And single fathers, if there's any here today, be encouraged. God is with you. Now, married with kids. How many are married with kids? Okay. You're ma- oh, excuse me, married without kids. That means you're having sex as recreation. That's basically what it means. Sex is your hobby right now, and that's okay. And you have a lot of money, and you have a lot of time, and you have a lot of everything, trust me. And if you're, like, complaining, and you're saying, I have no money, I have no time, I have none of this, you have no idea what you're talking about. Talk to somebody with kids. Talk to somebody with kids, and they will tell you you have no idea how much time and money you really have. So you're married without kids? That's great. Sex is a recreation. Love God. Enjoy the time you have together. Plan your family on God's schedule. Use your extra income, watch, and time to for savings and kingdom investments. Avoid planning a family your way. I was waiting to have kids until I had a house. And the missionary from Mozambique that I was telling you about, her name is um, uh, Tisa. She said to me, God will meet you at your place of faith. So we started having kids and not looking at the provision first. And as we started to have kids, God started to provide for us. So I believe children are a part of God's plan. And a lot of times in our world, we're waiting until we're 50, 50 with two college educations, three homes, and five vacations to Boca Raton before we have our first kid. That is dumb. Your parents, and your gra- rather your grandparents, lived a better life on a farm without running water, having 10 kids, than you're living right now. Hello, somebody. Get back the meaning of life. Family heals the soul. The reason why I have friends that are on the Chicago shore right now partying it up, just doing nothing but gym, tan, and laundry, GTL. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about, some of you. The reason why they're so depressed, the reason why they're so jacked up is because they didn't get married. They don't want kids. They're running from responsibility. And no matter how many vacations they take to South Beach, it doesn't change their life. So avoid planning a family your way, being selfish, and fighting over small things. Married with kids. How many of y'all got kids here and love Jesus married? General advice, love God. Continue to build a strong marriage. Come to places like the Marriage Life Group. Be around other married couples. Avoid all the nonsense of this world. Raise your children in church while you serve. Show them what it's like. I watched my mom bring me with my skateboard to a church that she picked the weeds in front of the whole entire church on her hands and knees. And how long did it take you to fill up, what, four or five garbage bags? How long? Four hours? What does what does make it sound real good? You were there eight hours in the hot sun. And you were sweating. But she, this is what my mom said to me. See, I grew up with a mom like that. Mom said, we're going to church. Mom, it's Tuesday afternoon. What in the world are we going to do there? Well, we're picking weeds. Well, I'm picking weeds, she said. And she said, bring your skateboard because that's what you're going to do. Now, did I help you pick weeds or I just skateboard? I needed Jesus. I needed Jesus. Benny and the band, would you come, please? Plan your future wisely. Avoid the worries of this life, being too busy, letting your marriage suffer, and losing Christian influence with your kids. 
Let me just say this one more time. I don't know how many rebukes I've given today, but hopefully you've gotten some good ones, also with some encouragement and some love. But watch this. The godly family, the godly family, I'm talking to Christians now, who forget this chart that I showed you way up here and start saying, well, family first, family first. You know, we can't make it to that family first, family first. You're going to regret that. Let me just tell you this right now. You better walk carefully with your family in the church. Walk carefully with that. See, because you guys don't see what I see. You don't see what I see. See, what you see is the nice church on Sunday. You go off and do your own thing. But you know what? You don't see the divorce counseling. You don't see the troubled teenage counseling. You don't see it. I've done a lot of marriages, and everybody applauds. But nobody's around when the divorce happens, right? The divorce is always done secretly. It's a few people alone in a room, some lawyers. The wedding's for everybody, right? So let me just tell you this. Everybody get, I'm not here to just try to bribe you to come to church, but hear my heart in this. Marriage and family will always work hand in hand with church. That's why a good church like ours plans what we do with the elders and deacons, which are a vast variety of families in our church. Our elders and deacons, listen, have single moms. Our elders and deacons have people that are single. People that are married, no children, and married with children. So when we start making those plans, we say if it becomes a rule for the church, we say it has to be the consensus. Is that not true? It has to be everybody agreeing this is good. So, for example, Bodiqua Fest, that is done with single parents in mind. That is done with married folks in mind with no kids. That is done in mind with singles. Are you guys listening? That is done in mind with families like mine with four or five kids. And we sit around and we go, can we all give up a Saturday to go evangelizing? And we get a consensus. Not one dissenting vote. Everyone has to be in agreement. So when we come before you and go, this is a church activity of Metro Praise International. You should take that serious. I'm just being honest with you. I'm not being legalistic. I'm just being honest. Why? I know you can't do everything, but you can do some things that will permanently change your marriage, permanently change the way you do things. I understand some of your schedules with job. It's like if you don't uh, do this, you're going to lose your job. I get that. But some of you, it's not like that, and you're just being lazy, and you're making excuses. And you're asking God to bless your family, bless your family. And this is how he said he does it. Does everybody get that? Okay. In closing now, everybody look at your neighbor and say, it's wrapping up. I know I kept you a long time, but you came to a good church today, man. You came to a church that loved you enough to tell you the truth about your family. Did your high school teacher tell you about this? Huh? No, I'm being honest with you. That college you went to, we got some people going to great colleges. You paid, what, $1,000 a credit hour, $3,000 a class? Did, did they teach you this? Uh, your best friend that said he's going to ride or die with you, that person that's always, did they teach you this? And if you didn't come from a godly family, did, did they teach you this? I hope that this really meant something to you because I could have ended this a long time ago, but I kept it for you today. Amen? I'm blessing you today. Here's some just things to remember because I know it's a lot I just said. That's why I gave you the notes. Here's the bottom line. Just invite God into your family every day. Just, God, it's about you. You're a single. Get used to hanging out with Jesus every day. Lord, today's your day. I'm going to this job. I'm going to do it unto you. 
We just got married. Okay, God, I invite you into my marriage every day. Just invite God into your life. Learn the habit of being with God. This is the discipline. This is the thing your flesh is not going to want to do. You're going to want to run aimlessly after every cute little thing, after every muscle guy or nice job guy. Listen, you're going to want to let your kids spend more time in front of Netflix after you've worked 10 hours. I get all that. But you've got to make some discipline here. You've got to put some strict training on yourself and go, it's about God. Do you think I feel like doing family devotions every night? I had my four-year-old son look at me the other day. He goes, Dad, I'm tired. Can we just go to bed? And I'll be honest with you, I want to look right back at him and go, yeah, I am tired. Just go to bed. But I said, no, son. We're going to read our Bible and we're going to pray. Because it's not my muscles. And I always tell him, I say, you got muscles like that? It's not my muscles that's going to give him a good life. We buy them whatever they need. It's not my house. It's not my backyard. It's not my sports and athletic ability and putting them in everything you can imagine. It is the character of God reflected in my life that will impact that young man for years to come. And should I perish before he dies, he will live a long life and he will say, my dad was a man of God. My dad taught me how to serve Jesus. I want that to be said of every person here. My mom, my dad taught me about Jesus. All this earth will pass away. All the glory of men will pass. But the word of God will endure forever. There is a crown laid up for the righteous, and it's waiting for me. Hallelujah. Invite God into your family, wherever you're at in life. And then number two, you just put him first, and you put his commands first, and you put him first, and you put his commands first. They offer you a job, but they say it's going to take you out on Sunday. You trust God like Hobby Lobby trusts God, and it closed their multi-billion dollar business on Sundays. You want to get in a relationship with a man, but he wants to violate you women in your sexual purity. You put God first and say, I'd rather be single. You put God and his commands first. People on your job say we're going to fudge numbers on reports. We're going to change these documents. You put God first and say I'd rather have God on my side and come home and tell my wife I had to quit a job than to go to hell with the devil with money in your pocket. You put God and his commands first. That's how we change the city. We do it through our families, through the Lord's power. Would you stand up and give God a hand clap of praise? Because we're going to make families to reflect the glory of God. And we won't settle for anything less than God's best in our families. We love you, Jesus. If you're with your family or somebody you love right now, grab them by the hand. Come on and just pray for them. Pray for your marriage. Pray for your kids. Pray for your brother or sister. We have families here today. Just pray for families today. Lord, before we leave out of here, we want to live the kind of life you want us to live. I know it wasn't a short message. I know today is a better day for many outside than to be inside. But God, we care about families. We honor your word. We got the rest of the day to go to the beach. We got the rest of the day to go to the park and barbecue. But God, we want to do it with family. We want to do it the right way. Come on, pray for each other. I got one of my friends right now. His wife just told him I've cheated on one man with you 16 times. Come on, pray that nobody goes through that here. We got people in this church going through divorce. Come on, pray for those who have suffered that way. 
Pray for marriages to hold together. Pray, friends. The family, the family, the family is so important. Altar workers, would you come? I'm not going to yell and holler at you anymore, but I just want to let you know there's altar workers up here. We're going to dismiss. And if you need prayer, if your marriage needs prayer, if your kids need prayer, if your buddy needs, I don't care if your buddy needs prayer, you come up and let's pray for somebody today. Because we believe in families. We believe they're the reflection of God's character upon this earth. We believe that families are the hope for a corrupt city. We believe it's the family. It's the family. All these people holding up signs, stop the violence, will do absolutely nothing until families change. Preach the gospel. Your signs do nothing. I know it makes it look cute when you put it up on a website. Well, we're just stopping the violence. You ain't stopping nothing. All you did is get other people like you to honk their horn. I'm tired of church acting dumb, acting like we're doing something. You want to stop violence? Start right now in your family and go out and preach the gospel to others' family. The gospel in your home and in this city is the only hope. Pray right now for each other. We'll keep Jesus in the center. We'll live right. We'll teach his commands everywhere we'll go. And we're going to stop corruption. We're going to stop violence because we will be the example. We're made in God's image. We were made in the image of God to reflect his glory. Why do you think I'm going to the Boricua Fest? To see God's glory in other families. To see God's glory in those who have been abused by their family. Those who have been abandoned by their parents. Those who are going through a divorce right now. Those who have been hurt by this. Well, I'm going to go to reach them and invite them into the family of God. Invite them into a new kingdom. 30 more seconds. Pray, pray. Come on. You know what to do. Pray. It's not a library. It's a church. Jesus. 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 Touch our families. Touch our marriages. Be first. Jesus, be the center, please, in closing. Thank you. Jesus, be first. Be first in our lives. Help us to be committed to a good church where we learn your ways. Help us not to get... You know, tired when a church service goes long. We get excited when the Cubs do it. Going to OT, we all get excited. Start standing to our feet for a half hour at a time. Come on, Jesus. You're better than the Cubs. You're better than the Blackhawks. You're better than the Bears. You're better, Lord. You're better. We need you right now. 15 more seconds. We need you. Oh, how we need you. My wife and I need you, Jesus. My children need you, Jesus. My children need you, God. They're growing up in a culture. They're growing up in a culture where a man can walk into my daughter's bathroom claiming to be a a woman. Dear God, have mercy on my children. Let not my children be deceived by the wickedness of this land. Though we may be in Babylon, keep us pure like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Oh, God, keep us pure. Guard my children. Guard the children of those here today. Oh, God, we can't, we can't control this culture. We can't control a spineless culture spiraling out of control. We've become cowards. No wonder we get defeated by our enemies overseas. We've become cowards. Our politicians are corrupt. They look out only for themselves. We've become perverse. We've become faithless. And I want to say this to every family here today. It is up to you if you are still in this building with an open heart to hear me, but I believe God is still speaking. Listen to me. I was praying in my room the other day, 
And I said, dear God, dear God, have mercy. I don't even know where to start with the politicians, with the perversion and the, all this mess. And God told this to me. He said, I will put a hedge of protection around your children. He said, if you meet me here every day and you pray for them, you humble yourself, you keep bringing them to church. Listen to me, I'm a, I'm a stay-at-home dad working out of a home office with my, mother, my wife, stay-at-home mom, homeschooling, and I can't wait to get my kids to church because they're going to learn from Amy Santiago. They're going to learn from Tina. They're going to get a plurality. God said, you keep meeting me here in prayer. You bring them to the church, and I will guard their hearts. Can I extend this right now? 15 more seconds for you to pray for your children or for your neighbor's children, somebody's children right now. Guard their hearts, God. They already came here as a miracle. Already about a million of their peers were killed in abortion clinics. They came here on this planet as a miracle already. We pray you purpose their lives and for destiny and for success. In Jesus' name. We're going to close out now. I'm going to have Berto pray for us, but we're going to close out singing Jesus Be the Center. If you want us to pray for anything, please come forward. If not, you're dismissed, and if you just want to hang out, do so, or even bring your children. Nancy, bring my kids from the back. I feel such an anointing on me. I want to sing this song with my kids. Some of you want to stay with your family. Go get them and come in back into the sanctuary. I'm telling you, there's an anointing here to change lives. Destinies are being changed. But that's how we're going to end. Pastor Berto, pray for us. Yes, Lord God, you want for us to have the best families, Lord. You want us to have, Lord, strong families that love you. Joshua said, Lord, that for, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, Lord. I pray that every single father in this, in this church, God, will rise up and be uh, committed to you, Lord God, because you are good and you want to give us good families. Father, I pray that you will bless every family, every household, every wife, Lord God, to walk in her role, every husband to walk into his role. God, I pray that as brothers and sisters in this church, Lord God, we will be there for one another, Lord God, to help and establish and be the example that the Bible says we should be like, Lord God. Help us, Lord. Not just help us, Lord. We know it. It's been taught. It's been preached. It's, and, Lord God, now I pray that we will follow through, Lord God. And we will be, Lord, blessed family. I pray that every single one of our hearts decides will be that we will reflect your glory in our homes. We will reflect heaven on earth, Lord, first in our homes, Lord God. That every single one of us, Lord, would just be ready to just demonstrate your loving kindness, Lord. That when people walk into our homes, Lord God, they will sense your love. They will sense your peace. They will sense the heavens on, on this every every corner of our home, Father, that our families will be in order, Lord God, that our children will be obedient, that the fathers will fear the Lord, that, will, that every single father will hold you, O Lord God, to the highest regard, to the highest esteem, and every wife, Lord God, will be submissive unto the husband. Lord, bless us, Lord. Let us raise up our families with the joy of God, because you are good, and you want to give us the best families. In Jesus' name, amen bless you as you go. We love you. I'm going to pray with my family. It's up to you what you do. Have a great week. We'll see you. Guys, sing, please.